Rustin Perret, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Eric Johnson. Uh, each of us is excited to bring you our chosen anecdote from the Godforsaken or God-blessed cookbook of ecology, evolution, and natural history. But we are more excited that you have chosen to listen to our podcast. And though we host it, each of us is in the same boat as our audience because neither of us really knows what story the other will tell. And this week, we are focusing on poop, ladies and gentlemen. It's, it's going to be a treat. How did you find the research for this topic? Oh, this topic? Honestly, it was pretty simple. I kind of had a, once you said you wanted to do a podcast about poop, I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted to do. And doing the research kind of went from there. It was pretty straightforward for me. I've had this one like on the back burner for a while. I've, I've read about this paper when it first came out and nothing's actually been published on it since, but it's such a cool topic that it had to be shared. It deserved its own week. All right, that's fair. You've been hyping this up for a while, man. I feel like you've, I think you've wanted to talk about this since before you asked me to do a podcast. <laughs> so it better be good, man. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, if this doesn't deliver, I'm going to feel really bad. All right, well, this week, I think, uh, I think we'll save Aaron's amazing topic for last. So I'll go first. My topic this week is uh, the Chincha Islands. Have you heard of them? Uh, no, I have not. So then I'll just kind of start from the beginning. So when you think of how we as a society use poop, what's the like, what, like, what's the most important use we have for poop in your mind? Fertilizer. Exactly. Right. You use it to fertilize fields. Live in the farmlands. I smell it all the time. Exactly. You know, you get the idea. Something, something shits a bunch of nutrients out. You put it on a field. Plants grow better. You have higher crop yields etc cetera, etc cetera. and so because of how agriculture depletes soil quality over time having a really good fertilizer to replenish those nutrients is extremely vital and so then is having you know a really good fertilizer and the quality of your fertilizer is really really important to have being a successful farmer so because of how important fertilizer is to agriculture you could argue that the world basically runs on fertilizers because fertilizers are how we grow all of our food for not only the plants that we eat, but also a lot of the animals that we eat too, right? No, absolutely. I mean, people got to eat. Exactly. So we grow all of our food using fertilizers. Now, today, we actually produce most of our fertilizers artificially, right? We're able to fix nitrogen from the atmosphere on our own and make fertilizers that way. But before we found out how to do this, you had to kind of get more creative with it. You either had to have really, really fertile soil, which, you know, a bit of a crapshoot. And if you were unlucky, you were kind of screwed. Or you had to find a really, really good source of fertilizer for your fields. And as it happens, some of the best fertilizers in the world actually come from bird poop that's produced on three tiny islands off the coast of Peru, known as the Chincha Islands. I think I know where this is going to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is major this... exploitation of those islands. Oh, 100%. 100%. But uh, yeah, I'll get into the how of that, which is pretty crazy, actually. What's really interesting about these islands is, is the biology of the islands and like why these fertilizers are so rich on these islands and why they're so valuable. But a lot of it is, is the historical side of this. So even though this is more of an ecology and evolution podcast... I'm going to be talking more about the historical side of these islands, which is fascinating. Full disclosure, I know it's a bit off topic, but... I think it's still on top. Well, my last two dabbled a lot in history. Yeah, you, you did bring up historical context, so I feel like that's that, that fits in with this episode. I think they go hand in hand. They definitely can. Yeah, and there's so much interesting stuff that's happened to these islands that it just, I just couldn't ignore it and just totally cast it off. I'm going to start with the biology of the islands. So they serve as the breeding ground for 4 million seabirds every year. Most of them are three different species of the guane cormorants, the Peruvian pelicans, and the Peruvian boobies. And they attract these huge breeding populations because they're free from predators and are situated right in the middle of the super fertile seas right off the coast of South America. They're situated right in an upwelling zone, which brings nutrients up from the deep, and so these seas are filled with fish and all kinds of things for these birds to eat and feed to their young. 
However, the problem is that having a lot of birds in one place, very densely packed together, means that those birds are shitting a ton on these islands. So, like, you've, you've, you know, you've been to the coast. You've seen what happens when a bunch of seagulls sit on a dock for even an afternoon, right? It'll be nice and cakey. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it looks like a Jackson Pollock painting. Like <laughs> they're just throwing it out everywhere. Yeah, it, it looks like a reverse Dalmatian. It's it's pretty bad, but imagine that happening for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and just like the sheer buildup of poop that would accumulate. Do we know how thick it was? We do, and I'll get to that. Oh no. <laughs> So what happens after thousands and thousands of years of millions of seabirds nesting on these islands is that these islands were once covered with about 2 million tons of poop. No. How big are the islands? These islands are relatively small. Like they're I think they're about the size of some of the smaller some of the smallest Galapagos islands. That's a lot of poop for not a lot of space. Yes. This was so much poop that, like, the first European explorers to view these islands thought they were topped with white mountains. Imagine being the guy on that boat and you're so excited for land and you just jump off, you see these white mountains, and you immediately sink waist deep into just dried up bird shit. Also, it's also it's it's hard packed. It's not it's not like um, porous. Because what's so great about the fertilizer on these islands is that, and why these islands in particular produce such great fertilizer, is because of the climate there is really dry. There isn't a lot of rain to wash away the nutrients or, that accumulate from the poop, and also it dries out really quickly. So it almost forms like a rock-type surface. They actually refer to the people who collect these poop, like the fertilizer, as miners. Because they're like coming in with like pickaxes and shovels, they're legit chiseling it away. Oh my god! Yeah, exactly. So it's it's like almost like a it's closer to the texture of like a rock than it is you know what you produce after a little bit too much chipotle. You know, like imagine you're one of those miners and like you've been talking to a girl. It's been going very well, and she takes you back to meet her parents, and they ask what you do for a living. And, you know, you kind of lie a little bit to make it sound more technical. Like, you don't just say, I dig up poo. You're like, yeah, I'm in the turd excavation business. <laughs> no, you, you you say you're in avian waste extraction. No, oh, that's even better. Yeah. And you got to throw technician on the end of it, too, just to make <laughs> it sound fancier. It always needs a technician. I'm an avian waste extraction technician. It's a fancy, it's a fancy title. But um, actually... So this this has by no means always been the case, and I'll talk about that later. But right now, the people who work on these islands are actually well compensated, well paid. People actually, in some in a lot of cases, want to work on these islands because you can make a lot more money harvesting the poop or the guano, as it's called, from these islands than you you can like just working as a laborer on the mainland in South America. Yeah, I I'm surprised it's still going on. It is, and I'll get into kind of how the industry like um, really skyrocketed and then collapsed and then now is kind of making a comeback. Anyway, at the start of the 19th century, when the demand started to ratchet up a little bit, the guano on the island was 200 feet deep. That's way more than I thought. I thought it would be like an even like four or five feet coating. 200 there's no way there's plant life on this island. No, no, no. They got all. all the nutrients they could ever want, but they're just mummified by the sheer pounds of crap falling upon them. Uh-huh. Yep, 200 feet of shit on three islands in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Or not in the middle, but in the Pacific Ocean. Oh, it's oh. so... It, yeah, it took me a while to wrap my head around. Like, I knew... When I was picking this topic, I kind of knew about islands like this a little bit. But then, like, seeing these numbers, it was just staggering. The tallest landfill in the U.S. is 500 feet. But that is also 700 acres. So these islands, which I'm assuming, even though they're about half that height, they're so much smaller, but compact to that area. 
That's a lot of crap. Oh, yeah. It's insanely ridiculous. But this is a really valuable resource. Like, this guano is incredibly valuable because of how well it, you know, transfers nutrients to crops. So, historically, people have been using the guano on these islands for centuries. Uh, the first people to do it that we know of were the Incas. People were probably using it before the Incas, but the Incas are the first people that we know about now that were using the guano on these islands. And the Incas had this system in place where each town was assigned a guano island amongst a collection of them, including the Chincha Islands. And each household would then have a share of that island according to their need, like how much fertilizer they needed for farming. But the crazy part is how strict they were with harvesting guano from these islands. Because anyone who disturbed the birds or even set foot on the islands during breeding season could be executed. They really like that guano. Yes, you could be killed for not letting birds peacefully shit on rocks in the middle of the ocean. You just gotta tiptoe everywhere. Yes. You have to collect the shit when the birds aren't breeding, you know, during during the non-breeding season, and you can't disturb them at all, even when they're not breeding. The one guy that gets caught is just gonna be yelling, yeah, he was going to take off anyways, like, he was rearing the flight, I had no say in this. Yeah, I just, just imagine going into the afterlife having been executed for <laughs> illegally harvesting bird shit. Well, like... being on death row, and uh, <laughs> you're next to the guy, and he says, yeah, what are you in here for? <laughs> I disturbed the guano birds, and he just scoots over a couple paces. Wants no affiliation. <laughs> yeah, just all the rapists and murderers want nothing to do with you. <laughs> I got that. No, that guy. That guy, that guy is awful. He's a shit guy. No one talks to him. He spoke the birds. Yeah. We can we can tolerate murder. We can tolerate assault. We can tolerate theft. But stealing bird shit. No. <laughs> this you've gone too far. Can't do it. That's where we draw the line. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah, so but like that was just crazy to me. Like you like they were that strict about it and as we'll learn later, the Europeans were far less strict with how they harvested the guano on these islands. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself there. So, eventually, of course, these islands were discovered, or discovered, quote-unquote, they were discovered by Europeans, who initially ignored the guano islands because they were more focused on flashier commodities in the area, like gold and silver and um, timber and things like that. But eventually they came to realize its value at a time when it was really convenient because agricultural soils throughout Europe and the United States have been drained of nutrients from consistent overuse. Um, there have been, you know, about a century of worth of agriculture going on in the United States, even from, you know, back from colonial periods. And then in Europe, there had been centuries of consistent agricultural use of these soils. And so they were really depleted. And the guano on these islands was exactly what was needed to replace the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium that had been used up in the soil. So this was really a boon for Europeans. And so they started a whole bunch of these companies that were basically just built around exclusively mining slash harvesting the guano off of these islands and then selling it to farmers and, um, and you know, and third-party people who would, you know, make basically make a killing off of selling shit. Which, again, like imagine sitting at a dinner table with somebody you just met, and you're like, oh, hey, what do you do for a living? You know? Oh, I'm in the guano business. Oh, that sounds interesting. Please tell me more. Nope. Let's nah. just leave it there. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave it there. I'm good. I don't know. Oh, man, this, this turkey's great. <laughs> immediate subject change yeah this this turkey really has a, a an interesting scent to it there's a certain uh je ne sais quoi that i can't quite put my finger on it of course because this, this these were colonial european powers who were control largely controlling or largely invested in 
the harvesting of the guano on these islands, there was labor exploitation like crazy. Um, laborers were basically enslaved to mine guano off the islands. They, a lot of them were uh, Chinese immigrants or um, or native peoples or people who were who were imprisoned and then forced to work on the islands, basically. Horrific labor exploitation for people who were mining shit. So it's about the worst situation that you could be in. Pretty much. In terms of the criminal justice system. Uh, hard labor's bad enough, but if you're doing hard labor on an island full of shit, that pretty much takes the cake for me. I, I can't think of much worse than that. I might have something. I, or maybe I just don't want to think of something worse than that. <laughs> oh, I'll bring it I'm sure it, it exists. It, it's coming. What was crazy was that the guano was so potent that people would actually dilute it and cut it with like rotting sawdust or dirt or some kind of other powder to like increase the amount they could sell for the same amount of money. But it was so like nutrient rich that people really didn't care. Or when they did, they actually had a chemist on site to verify that the guano was pure. Fun to think that there is a time where there's probably a unit of measurement for guano purity you know like they're oh. taking like percent like i guess i don't think they called it proof like you would for like a hard liquor but they probably had a term for it uh this guano's only 90 proof i could go into the streets right now and get it we haven't invented sewer systems yet <laughs> todd's been having fiber all week and he could do better than this <laughs> Give him 15 minutes. Come on, give me the good stuff. You're holding out on me again. I could give my mom a laxative right now and she would do better. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was... Anyway, ships that would visit the Peruvian coast would wait months to load guano to export it to Europe and the United States. At one point, the British actually had an exclusive deal with the Peruvian government. And so anyone... And so they acted as like a third party between the Peruvian government and anyone else who wanted to buy guano from these islands. So basically what wound up happening is these other nations had to find other ways of procuring similar islands and similar access to guano, like the stuff that was found on the Chincha islands. What wound up happening, at least for the United States was that they Actually, we actually passed an act that allowed people to go and claim guano islands in the ocean as part of the United States. And these islands were actually some of the first imperialist holdings of the U of the United States beyond, you know, the continental North America, beyond, you know, just like expanding westward. Do we still hold them today? Some of them, yeah. Wow. And it's all because of the shit that was on the islands. That, that's that's it. Just the shit on the islands. But these particular islands, the Chincha Islands, were still so valuable that in 1864, when Spain was trying to reestablish some of its control on the South American continent after all of its colonies had gained independence, they actually went and just took the islands from uh, the Peruvian government. And this led to a war. That lasted until 1866. A war over guano. Yes. A three-year-long war. What was the war called? Two two years. Yeah, two years long. I don't don't remember the exact name of it, but it was, um, it's nothing too exciting. It's it's very bland sounding. It wasn't called the poop war? It wasn't, which is a huge missed opportunity. Yeah, well, I feel bad for the veterans, you know, you go back to a bar, they ask where you served, you say the poo war, and they all just start snickering. <laughs> you come back with, like, a prosthetic leg and an eye patch. Well, everyone's laughing at you except for the farmers in the room who are like, oh, I gotta buy that man a drink. They take their hats off. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, man, can I carry you home? Thank you for your service. <laughs> but yeah, this is actually... This is actually a war that came to involve other three other nations in South America, which jo- who joined Peru to kick Spain off of these islands, and that had as much to do with Spain being their former imperial overlord than it did 
as much as it did with the islands being really valuable because these other nations had no hold in the islands. They were owned by Peru before Spain seized them. They just, but the fact that they were still like a, like a multinational war over shit is crazy. And during this time, the guano was just being mined and harvested like crazy with no, basically no regulations or restrictions of any kind, except for those based on its sale and transport and trade that were established by the Peruvian government so that they can make money off of it. And so by 1874, all the guano had been used up on these islands. So in roughly 50 to 60 years, the guano had gone from being 200 feet thick to basically gone to give you an idea of just how much this resource was exploited and how huge this industry was at one point, which is utterly insane. And once the guano was gone, yeah. Once the guano was gone, the Peruvian economy collapsed. Oh, because the guano accounted for 60% of Peru's foreign revenue in the 19th century. That's rough. I don't, I don't even know what to comment on that. It's a shitty situation to begin with. Stop it. <laughs> no. You I laugh no- about it now, but there's probably, back in the day, uh, a lot of angry Peruvians would not have liked that joke. No, there's no way we have to edit that one out. There's no way. There's no way there's still people that are upset about the poop. No, 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 no. You misunderstand. We're not editing that out because people will be offended. We're editing that out because it was a terrible joke. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, the other thing that happened as well is that the 30, 40 years of guano industry collapsing in Peru or on these islands, artificial fertilizers were being developed. So that kind of picked up the slack in a lot of ways that was left behind by the absence of guano on a lot of these islands. But this wasn't a phenomenon that was unique to these islands in that other countries and other traders would come to islands like this one or like these ones and just strip all the guano off and then move on and just do this repeatedly. Um, The difference with the Chincha Islands is that the guano was so thick that this exploitation was able to carry on for decades. Whereas on other islands, the guano could be gone in less than a calendar year. Um, So this was a huge resource and a huge boon for the people who were able to exploit it. And so after, for a while, the guano industry basically died off Um, after certain steps were were taken to protect the islands and protect the birds. It kind of returned and made a comeback. And so today, guano is still harvested on these islands. Not like it once was, obviously. Part of that's due to very strict regulations which dictate when and how the guano can be harvested. Like the the islands are actually now part of a national preserve that's operated by the Peruvian government. Part of it is also due to a decrease in bird populations as a result of overfishing uh, in the in the waters around the islands and also as a result of poaching of the birds themselves because mm-hmm. they're really vulnerable and they're pretty docile. You know, they're not used to really interacting with humans and that, you know, they're not, they're not expecting predators on these islands because that's why they're there in the first place. Um, so they're really easy targets for poachers. The fact that they're not prote- a part of a protected preserve has kind of limited these issues somewhat. So the guano now is harvested more sustainably and workers are not exploited in the way that they once were. Well, thank God that the bird crap is being sustainably harvested. <laughs> I don't think I'd sleep at night otherwise. Check, people... Hey, when you're buying your local guano, check for the little label in the top right corner to make sure it's sustainably harvested. There's a little picture of a pelican, you know. <laughs> He's on the can and giving a thumbs up. <laughs> that always bothered me. It's like, birds can't really do the thumbs up, but like, in like Finding Nemo, like the pelicans were doing like, bending their feathers like fingers. Rustin, Finding Nemo had talking fish. Okay, but when they were making that movie, they made a point of like trying to make sure that aside from the talking fish, most of the other things were anatomically correct. 
but i watched that i'm not actually i watched that as a kid and i was like feathers don't bend that way what is going on here stop this no (laughs) did you write them an angry letter i didn't but i did watch that movie a lot as a kid and every every time the, the pelicans would bend their feathers i'm like they're not fingers that doesn't work that way that wasn't the only thing that they messed up like the whale that swallows marlin and dory also has a uvula and whales don't have uvulas again i think you're picking the worst possible things the fact that they're talking fish okay, the fact that what? everything talks i think that's reason enough to say yeah they took some liberties here uh, well sure but i'm just saying you can find a more like a a more anatomically correct way for the pelicans to like voice their approval than by having feathers act like fingers there's no muscle tissue with it like it doesn't make sense okay well to elaborate no to build off on that if that's your issue then marlin should have been a female because clownfish are hermaphrodites that's another thing they messed up yeah and the dominant ones get to switch from it's male to female right the dominant ones yes. get to be female. Yes. Shout out to uh, shout out to Super Bitch, the uh, murderous clownfish that we used to have in a lab where we went to college. That clownfish was a menace. Yeah, I've heard many stories. Rustin told me when working in the wet lab. Oh my god, this this clownfish was so aggressive to other clownfish that they would commit suicide. They would jump out of the tank. (laughs) Like, how terrible of a roommate do you have to be to where, like, you want to get out of that room even if it kills you? I mean, I had one one or two roommates, not Aaron, in college. (laughs) I was was waiting for that comment coming up. (laughs) (laughs) Who were pretty bad. But, nah, nothing like that, man. No, I, I, I wasn't going to insult you there, and you were a good roommate. <laughs> Thank you. I tried my best. So what else is there to tell about these islands? That's pretty much it. I went through the whole history of the islands, and the only other thing that I find kind of funny is that before Europeans got there, it was being harvested sustainably. Now, our idea of, like, 200 years of quote-unquote progress is to basically wind up doing kind of what the Incas were already doing in terms of strictly regulating where and when you can harvest guano and not disturbing the birds and doing all these other things. I mean, sure, you're not going to get executed if you if you mess up, but... Maybe a fine. Yeah, you, you get fined, you know. But, like, I just find it funny that, like, that's our idea of progress, that, like, we're implementing a lot of the same practices that were being used before we got there, you know? So what I find interesting is that at no point in this history did someone try to get into the bird laxative business. Okay. It really could have boosted revenue. Think about what a waste of time that is. Like, it's not like there's one bird that's producing... 200 feet of shit so i wait till there's a bunch there and i just start tossing out laxative coated sardines let them go at it okay even if the laxatives wash off they're still eating more food and food becomes poop wow let's point let's point out a few different issues with this with this plan here first issue you're upset because you didn't think of it (laughs) sure one issue is that this (laughs) Like, this guano built up over thousands and thousands and thousands of years, so you'd have to put in, like, generations worth of time spraying these laxatives to maybe boost production, like, 10%. And also, which means that it's not worth the cost of the laxatives. And you'd kill way more birds than you'd actually, like... Like, how, how, how how would they have known the proper dose of laxative to give to a seabird trial and error mainly like think about how like think 
Like, if somebody had actually tried to do this, imagine how many birds would have overdosed on laxatives and just died. That's a terrible way to go. It really is. You, you just, yeah, you just shit yourself to death. Like, you'd, you'd have millions and millions of birds that would be Tywin Lannistered to death. You totally ruin the source of your revenue. You know? That like, might have been a great reference if I've seen Game of Thrones. I never watched it. I know the name. What do you what what do you know about Tywin Lannister? I'm I don't. curious. You I just don't know I name. know there is the the Lannisters, that's a house, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. That's all I know. <laughs> I never watched it. I saw the first episode with the incest. I'm like, that's a little weird, and I never thought anything else of it. Alright, well if you think if you thought that was a little weird probably best that you didn't keep watching because there is some freaky shit that happens in that show yeah you just said someone got lannistered to death death via laxatives i'm assuming so not not exactly are you ever gonna watch the show can i spoil it for you i am not gonna watch the show no that's that breaks my heart a little bit because the first four seasons of that show are as are as good as any four seasons of any other show and then that's not seasons. a great that was a bad comparison good as any four seasons of any other show right that's what i'm saying is that like the peak of game of thrones was like stacks up against pretty much any other show that i've ever seen and then the next two seasons that follow are good and the last two seasons are garbage and they ruin everything that came before it yeah so tywin lannister is spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen this show but come on this came out like six or seven years ago guys you should have watched it by now. Don't be like Aaron. You know. Sorry, guys. Should have hopped on the bandwagon back when it was really rolling and picking up steam. Tywin Lannister is taking a shit when his son Tyrion comes in and shoots him with a crossbow in, like, his lower stomach. And so he just starts shitting himself as he's dying. And he gets found on the shitter by his, by you know, his guards who are like, oh, ha ha ha, Tywin Lannister shit himself to death and also got shot by a crossbow. So that that's the reference. Well, now I'm sold. I have a second idea that I think you would agree could have been a good idea. All right, let's hear it. Because your first one was a real home run. <laughs> so you know how they drill in like the Arctic and they'll take ice cores and they can do like stable isotope testing to see climates throughout the years. We could take I... cores because this piles up over time and we could see the diets of these seabirds and how they've changed over the thousands of years. So I'm betting it could be done. It could have been done. It doesn't sound like there's enough left. Wow, you. I'm honestly shocked. You went from like your first idea being like the plot of an Adam Sandler movie to actually it sounds like a, a decent scientific analysis, but yeah, that, that actually would have been really interesting to like, look at, yeah, to look at how their diets change. I don't know that it cha- would have changed that much because they're pretty much just eating anchovies in the surrounding water. From what I understand, um, I was reading about like how they, like they do have to sift through other things. Like it's not just pure shit. There are like, disturbingly enough like the bones of dead birds and stuff that they that they do have to sift through got covered in a landslide i bet more like a shit slide but sure <laughs> yeah but yeah and so, so like doing analysis of that kind would be really interesting yeah obviously now it's a lost opportunity because you know we used up all the guano by the time the 1900s old around yeah, we're but... down about 195 feet worth of guano yeah could have been cool if we thought of that in the 1800s could have called yep. me. I would have made it happen. We uh we really went from uh we really turned all those mountains of shit into molehills of shit. But anyway, those are the those are the Chincha Islands. Their incredible wealth of shit. So I'm gonna pass this off to you now. Okay, that was that was pretty good. I I, I tried. <laughs> I don't I. I think this will be either hit or miss. You're either going to really like this, or I think you're going to hate and fight me the entire way. Because I've kind of got like a sort of pseudo 
proposition hypothesis theory thing? It's not. I'll just get started. So. Hit me. Go on. Rustin, let me ask you. If you're living in a big city, what is the number one thing that you're afraid of? That depends on the city. Your average American big city. First thing off the top of your head. Gentrification driving up my rent. Okay. Well, I'm thinking something a bit more feral. I'm talking about predators in the poop tubes. I'm talking about mutants under the manholes. I'm talking about sewer gators. You said, there's, there's you said some gators? Gators. There's some credibility to this. The animals that usually have Allah in front of the gator part? You don't call them gators? Well, some a lot of times I do. You know, if you're in a really redneck mood, you can't exactly call them alligators. Well, but... I'm feeling rednecky tonight. <laughs> so, as long as people have been pooping into underground holes, they've been afraid of what's lurking underneath. We have? I, I've never been worried about that once well, in my life. Maybe you should be. Why should I be? I could just immediately flush anything that comes up at me. Okay, well, let me get to it. All right. So, we do know that there's life in sewers. Of course, noxious bacteria coats the slimy pathways, all kinds of different pathogens and anaerobic bacteria. In New York City alone, there's an estimated 2 million rats scurrying around. And of course, we know there are tons of roaches weaving in and out of the cracks in search for food. But there's been a recurring idea for a surprisingly long time that sewers are home to populations of large predatory animals. And they're actively hunting instead of just scavenging off the sewage. One of the earliest accounts for this actually goes back to ancient Rome. It's from De Natura Animalium. And it discusses how there is a sewer octopus. Apparently, it would slither up the toilets, go into storerooms, and break open containers, eat pickled fish, and then go back down. What the f- the credibility on this one's pretty low. All right, all right. So you're saying that there is a source from ancient Rome that they, claims there's two. That, oh, sorry, sources. But the that, second one said they came out of trees, so it's it's dicey. <laughs> and that one was okay. by Pliny the Elder. <laughs> uh, Pliny the Elder. Anyway. So, you're saying that there is one semi-reliable source that claims that there was an octopus climbing out of the sewers and eating fish. Just so I I'm not saying right. I'm. I doubt it actually happened, but I'm saying that people have all been aware of these large predators in the sewers, and it's no, no, kind no, of no, been no, a recurring no. thing. We're focusing on the octopus right now. Okay. We gotta. <laughs> We, we gotta break the, this down. It's you hit me with a whole lot of crazy story. right there. Apparently, they caught the octopus and they made like some of the uh, storeroom workers cut off all of its limbs and beat it to death. All right. First off, that sounds terrible for the octopus. He just wanted to feed his little octopuslets or her little octopuslets because male octopi really don't give a shit about the young. Still, just start there. Second. Let's also just, I'm pretty sure this, there was never really an octopus and that there was some like store worker who kept just like stealing fish. And they just blamed it on them. Yeah. And when his boss like asked him why the fish kept disappearing, he was like, oh, oh shit. Uh, there's an octopus. Now the chance of this happening, I give like a two out of 10. I don't give it a one because of two reasons. One, the sewers did flow into the ocean. And octopus are incredible escape artists, and they can fit through very tiny holes. Those are the only reasons I don't give it a 1 out of 10. But I'm going to say this one didn't happen. So let's move on to the next one then. In 19th century England, locals of Hampstead feared that they were feral pigs that roamed the sewers. The locals thought that they have evolved over time to become vicious predators and cannibals. And they would feast on anyone who was unfortunate enough to fall into the sewer. How big are these sewers to have, like, man-eating pigs? The sewers were very poorly designed at the time. They were huge. There were large entrances just all around. You could walk into it. Not crawl, walk. Oh, okay. 
And a lot of people did go in there. They were called Toshers. And they would sift through the sewage for money. Similar to the poop miners of today, that's actually not a terrible way to make money for its time. If you were lower level income, that's like one of the best jobs you could have. Was their job just to like sift through the shit and they'd get paid by somebody else? Or no, was they their kept job the money? Was there so they would just go in and just like look through the shit for like discarded coins and stuff? Or like jewelry. Yeah, that was their job. Huh. And okay. they feared that these pigs would hump them down and rip them apart. And again, this probably didn't happen. There were a ton of pigs in the area. This is a developing city, 19th century, so livestock was just packed in. And there were tons of large openings. So maybe one pig went in there one time. And hell, pigs have killed people. They can be pretty aggressive. But this is all largely folklore without much basis. I don't know, man. I've listened to Frank Reynolds for a while. He's seen many, many pigs eat many men. <laughs> maybe he was working in these sewers. There are other tales of sewer monsters. One included the queen rat. This was a shape-shifting rat woman who uh, would look like a rat and then transform into a woman, except she had rat eyes and claws. And uh, if a tosher had sex with her, she would bite them, and the toshers would be protected from rats in the sewers. They, she would give them her mark. Okay. This was also a really popular idea at the time. So they believed that a hickey from a furry could make you immune to rats. I get the theory that they were just cheating on their wife. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, no, it's the rat queen. Come on. I'm spending eight days in the sewers. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> Toshers, they're uh, scummy people. Toshers deserve to be covered in shit and eaten by, man and eaten by pigs. Oh, they got the first part going for him. Uh, These sewers were basically just like Mr. Wu's shop from Deadwood. You're hitting me with these references. I do not know oh, this one. God. Man. I don't know this one. Carolina Poop Monster. This one was sort of real. It was just a bunch of worms in a pile that someone took a photo of. It was just a mass of tube effects worms. But most of these tall tales of feral fecal monstrosities seem to have no basis in modern science, due to sewers being really harsh environments without enough food to support like an apex predator. Of all of these, there's one that still some people believe, and that's sewer gators. The earliest accounts of these would date back to the 1930s, and it's the idea that people would buy baby alligators as pets and flush them down the toilet. And at the time, they were pretty easily obtainable. You could get them for like... I saw there were mail-aways where you could send like a dollar fifty, and they'd mail you a baby alligator back. I mean, I don't know that that's not still the case. I'm pretty sure that like in Florida, you could buy like you could buy a baby gator for like two ounces of meth. Like, <laughs> actually, in some states, you can own them without a permit. Pennsylvania is one of them. Surprisingly, you can own a gator. Just go and buy it. That's it. Are there any states that have that kind of policy that actually have wild gators? I don't know. I imagine Texas is a little loose. Probably. Their laws. Uh, but there yeah. were theories that these gators would undergo weird adaptations, like they'd lose all their pigment, or they'd lose their eyesight in the sewers because there was no light. And, you know, there's been some cases of these in sewers. A lot of unverified ones, but go back in 2010, and there was one caught in the Bronx. It was under two feet, and it only been there for a little while. Going back to the bit about the like the the phenotypic changes in these gators, are those no. from are those from unconfirmed reports? Completely unconfirmed, okay. totally falsified. There's, gotcha. The the truth to this matter is that you can still, if you look hard enough, obtain a baby alligator if you really want one. You shouldn't have one, especially if you're living in New York City. You don't have a place to put it. So you're most likely tossing it down a storm drain when it's over a foot long. And you know, the animal control in New York City actually states that they may rescue one to two baby alligators a year. So they are getting in there, but they're not living. Wait, and they rescue them from the sewers? Or a pond or a storm drain. Oh, okay. 
Gotcha. The, the one from 2010 was from the sewer. And there's been several cases where small alligators down in Florida, where they're you that's their native range, they'll take shelter and maybe in a storm drain during a hurricane or really harsh weather. But even then, they're only in there for a little bit, and they're going to find their way back out. So with all these accounts, it's clear that any alligators that are found are either pets that got turned loose that would not survive long term because they're still very small, or an occasional adult that just wandered into a storm drain. In reality, the sewers of large cities are both too cold and too toxic for alligators to survive long term, not to mention there's just not enough food to sustain them. They, they need something they can hunt, and while they may get lucky with the occasional rat, that's probably not going to be enough. The occasional rat? Have you been to New York City? They'd have to eat a lot of rats. And I read that the rats don't spend most of their time in the sewer. They use it to move around. They don't spend most of their time in there. It's like a transport system. Oh, maybe they'll catch Charlie Kelly one of these days. <laughs> maybe they'll get lucky. And have enough food for a month. So here's my proposition. I propose that there is, in fact, a population of sewer crocodiles, not gators. It's just not in the place where you think, and it's a sort of pseudo-sewer crocodile. Like, if you blur the definition, I think... So you're saying there are sewer gators, but they're actually sewer crocodiles, and even then, not real. What I'm about to propose is the closest thing we could get to a a true sewer crocodile not an alligator the order is crocodilians gators are a family in that alligators and there's only two species most of the other ones are crocodiles so closely related but you know it's not a true alligator and i'll base it off of this criteria one it must be in the order of crocodilians so like i said these are crocodiles that i'm about to mention I can't just say, all right, this is a large iguana and try pawning off on you. No, these are crocodilians, close relatives. Two, they must live and hunt in almost exclusively subterranean environments, like a sewer would be. It's all underground for the most part. And three, they must live in waters with extremely high concentrations of fecal matter. So what fits the bill? Well, let's begin. So the dwarf crocodile is native to sub-Saharan West Africa, and you can find a lot of bodies of water, streams, swamps, and small rivers, but they typically avoid fast-flowing or large bodies of water. These guys live up to their names. They're one of the smallest crocodilians, possibly the smallest. They usually only get about five feet long, but there's some populations that only get about three or four feet, and it's been proposed that they may be their own species, but that is still debated. Okay. The small body size has caused them to have a lot of unique adaptations. Their range overlaps with a lot of other larger crocodile species, sometimes twice their size. So they have to carve out their own niche to avoid competition with the bigger boys. That makes sense. I mean, is that part of the reason why they're so small is so that they can occupy a different niche? I don't know if the smallness is a result of them seeking more niches or because they're small, they have to. Okay. I don't know which covers. For starters, they're much more timid than larger crocodile species. They're much more likely to run away from a fight than see. Much much less likely to swim up a pipe and bite you on the ass? <laughs> Maybe not that exactly, but so much so you can barely see them basking in the daytime. Whereas alligators in Florida, you see them lying all over the place in areas where there's a lot of them. These guys, you'll rarely see them. They're actually nocturnal, which is rare for crocodiles. Yeah, so so when do they, like, so reptiles have to sun themselves, right? Yes, they typically do, but these guys live in very warm climates, so they can thermoregulate by other means. Oh, okay, gotcha. They spend their daytime Uh, tucked away in burrows, actually. They will dig out burrows, and they'll come out of night to feed. Okay, because I was just thinking, if if you're a reptilian that has to, like, sun yourself to regulate your body temperature... You can't be you can't really be completely nocturnal, right? Yes, and that's a great point you have there, and that will be brought up again. Alright, keep going. So like most crocodiles, these guys are generalists. However, because they're smaller, their prey is much smaller. They'll feast on small mammals, reptiles, fish, amphibians, and invertebrates. However, they're actually much more skewed to invertebrates. One study found that at least in the Congo, 
they're mostly eating snails and crabs. We think of most crocodiles like it's grabbing a wildebeest and dragging it down. No, these guys are going after snails. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's far more exciting than, you know, a crocodile keeping your garden clean of pests. (laughs) But there's a cool thing to them. They take high advantage of land-based prey. They're actually one of the most terrestrial crocodile species. They're good at maneuvering on land. So they're they're eating the the land-based snails, not the water-based ones. I don't know that specifically, but after it rains, if it's a little muddy, these guys will just walk around the forest. Most crocodiles spend the majority of their time in the water or basking near it. But these guys will just get up and walk onto the forest if they're hungry. Remember these adaptations because these are the keys to their success. They are small. They eat a variety of small prey animals. They're nocturnal. They can burrow. And they're pretty good at walking around on land. So these are small crocodiles that supposedly live in sewers, but are also good at not being in sewers. Okay, so here's where it gets wild. And here's where the pseudo-sewer bit comes in. In 2016, a paper was published about the discovery of a population of cave-dwelling dwarf crocodiles. Okay. Cave-dwelling crocodiles. Now, it's been mentioned that sometimes they'll occasionally shelter in caves in severe weather, but this is the first case of a true subterranean environment. This is like a massive cave system. The Abanda cave systems are in Gabon. And it was discovered in 2008 by an archaeologist, actually, who was looking for ancient cave paintings and was greatly shocked to find a pool full of crocodiles instead. (laughs) Richard Osisley was his name. And he returned later with cave scientist Oliver Testa and crocodile scientist Matthew Shirley. I can just imagine that guy dropping dropping into that cave and just being like, crocodiles, why does it always got to be crocodiles? No, he would drop in and say, crocodiles? Really? Here? I thought this was the one place where they couldn't get to. Yeah, but that's not how it is in the movie, so I had to change it up for the joke. So, on the initial observation, they actually, it took them a while before they could come back to properly research this, like a seven-year gap, because it's hard to get to. They found about 30 dwarf crocodiles in a large pool and it wasn't until okay. 2015 that they were able to properly research the group and here's what they found the dwarf crocodiles in the cave were feeding exclusively off subterranean prey species almost exclusively i believe there's one tiny exception but even then it was still disputed so the stomach contents revealed that they were living off of bats and cave crickets that's awesome they weren't So their stomachs were full of prey that was in the cave, not a mix of stuff that's outside. So they're probably in the cave and have been in the cave for a long time. And there are tens of thousands of fruit bats in that cave. So they can just jump up, grab, sit. So these crocodiles had COVID like thousands of years before we (laughs) did. They had COVID before it was cool. (laughs) And they didn't seem sick at all or in grave condition a basic health analysis showed that they were doing just fine in the cave awesome and that's because the cave actually stays around 70 degrees fahrenheit year round wow it's kind of like it's a very warm area but it's subterranean so this is just a little perfect spot for them they can just chill there forever remember how i said they're really good at navigating on land and they were nocturnal Yeah. That explains how they're probably able to navigate these cave systems efficiently, whereas other crocodiles might not. Because they can move around between, like, areas of the cave on land? Yeah, because the cave was not filled with water. This, they were in a large pool. Oh, okay. In the cave. This cave didn't, like, open up to a river. Oh, okay. See, I was thinking you were, like, these were, these were, like, these... These are like totally underwater caves. They're not underwater caves. All right, never mind. That makes that makes a whole lot more sense. Yeah, they're essentially in a large pond in a cave. Huh. With no paintings. With no paintings. 
really sucks to be the archaeologist. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess it makes sense that there aren't any paintings in those caves, because, like, if anyone had ever tried to paint on the walls of those caves, they would have had to deal with a bunch of angry crocodiles. So, Dr. Shirley suggested that the small young may be entering and exiting the caves freely. Wait, sorry. Have you seen Airplane? Don't call me Shirley. Yeah. Yes, I've, I've watched that one with you. I watched that one with you. See, you pick a reference, and we literally watch the movie together. All right. So now we just got to watch Game of Thrones together. It's fine. That's a, Why would I want to watch it if it sucks in the end? Because it's really amazing for the first, like, six seasons. You just pretend that nothing after that happens. Like, that's all you got to do. You got to wait until Battle of the Bastards, and after that, you're done. So, like, everything after that is terrible. So Dr. Shirley, yes, Shirley, suggested that while the small young may be entering and exiting the caves freely, the adults are just a bit too big to be doing that. Shirley, you can't be serious. <laughs> oh my god. So, as more adults become trapped in this cave area, it could become its own species with time. Uh, because there's not enough breeding between adult populations of... Because the, the breeding adults aren't leaving the cave. Only the young can move in and out. We don't have any knowledge of whether or not the crocodiles are breeding in the cave. Again, if the adults cannot breed in the cave and they rely only on juveniles entering and then staying in there, then this probably won't last the test of time. I get that this is kind of like a sewer because it's underground water, but where's the shit, man? This is oh, an episode about poop. Beautiful timing. So... Okay. There's one thing that sets the cave crocodiles aside from their land-dwelling kin. They're orange. Sorry, you said what now? They're orange. They're orange. At first, they thought this might be some random mutation, but then they realized only the adults were orange. So this is not the result of genetics. Bat guano. What? Remember how I said the cave was full of bats? Like, tons of bats? Yeah. Well, bats poop. They poop yeah. so much that this cave water... I didn't tell you about this. It's sludge. It is a poop sludge. That's how much poop is in the water. The water is so alkaline in nature from the bat poop that they think it's literally dying the gators orange. So the gators are basically doing... Like having the environment do to them what edgy teenagers do to their hair on an, on like a weekly basis. Just they're just being dyed a random color because of do poop. edgy teens cover themselves in bat poop. No, but they dye their hair. But then yes, by extension, I suppose <laughs> so. <laughs> so these are fruit I, bats, right? And yeah. there's probably like stuff like tannins from what they're eating. And like I said, there's so much fecal concentration the water is really alkaline the bat poop in this is so intense it became difficult for the researchers to breathe over time wow they said that it was like strenuous and they felt completely winded when they left the cave are, are there phenotypic differences between the respiratory systems of the cave crocodiles and the land-based and the normal land-based crocodiles because of those breathing difficulties I, that's still unknown it's unknown how they're surviving this because bat poop, at least to people, is so brutal that long-term exposure calls histoplasmosis and like so severe mm. lung damage from inhaling bat poop constantly. Actually, people that explore caves, if there's a lot of bats, you have to limit your time in those areas because of all the poop and poor ventilation. Right. Yeah, I know that, um, you know, like the... In a callback here, the the miners on the um, on the Peruvian uh, poop islands, they have to wear they wear all kinds of masks and face protection to keep that out of their lungs and stuff. So that makes sense. This is incredible. Oh, absolutely! You, you, you got a minute? Go ahead and look up the a picture. They have pictures of the orange bat cave crocodiles. There's a really good side by side. Oh my god, that's ridiculous. But besides that, there's no major differences between the two. You just got like a normal crocodile, and then you got like a Targaryen crocodile. 
Yes, that's another Game of Thrones reference. I'm going to keep making them until you watch the show. <laughs> I didn't get that one at all. I didn't even recognize a name. Yeah, no, but that's crazy. And that happens because of uh, the poop. The poop is dyeing them. It, they're literally poop stained. These guys are taking skid marks to the next level. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> just crocodiles covered with skid marks. <laughs> Dude, what the hell are those bats eating? Fruit. How many tri- how many times are they going to Taco Bell per week? <laughs> that that's what's in their poop. So I propose we should make a TV show based off these guys. They're the next Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're the Orange Bat Poop Crocodiles. You have a little theme right. song goes like Orange Bat Poop Crocodiles, Orange Bat Poop Crocodiles, Orange Bat Poop Crocodiles, Heroes in a Crap Hole, Guano Power. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of being a rat uh a splinter is just a is a bat it's a bat they haven't eaten yet <laughs> it's a giant bat. no instead of uh, it's it's the archaeologist <laughs> who's still trying to find the cave painting and taught them how to fight crime instead now unfortunately there has not been any further research published on these guys since 2016 which is somewhat understandable it's really hard to get to them, and there's probably not a lot of funding for this. There's this is only there's one paper, and there were a couple interviews that I found. That's all the information. That that's very disappointing. And they were not able to conduct a genetic analysis because they it didn't even when they returned it seemed like they didn't have a lot of equipment because I mean you have to carry that all with you. Here we have it, a sort of pseudo sewer crocodiles. They're living underground in a ton of poop and the crocodiles. I'll give them a sort of pass. Okay, I think I follow that. I agree. Those are about as close to sewer gators as we're going to get. Yes, I do agree. That's as close as we're going to get. It'd be really cool to see a genetic analysis, see if they're like an isolated population or if they have a distinct genotype from the land-based ones. But Mm -hmm. we may never know. And I will say, though, that these are aggressive. These these crocodiles are doing to the bats what I was saying they could theoretically do to humans. They are going up and biting them in the uh, in the ass while they're taking a shit. Well, you know, I don't know for a fact that they're jumping up on them. Maybe the bat just slips, you know? I mean, maybe, I guess. But I don't think they actually witness them hunt. They literally probe their stomachs. It a little messy. They just stuck a tube down and uh, pulled out stomach contents. I don't think the crocodiles like that one. Probably not. I think. Oh, they did find this... in one a tooth, a crocodile tooth. Oh, so cannibalism? That was a possibility, but a more likely one is that it just swallowed its own tooth by accident. Oh, okay. That's that's far less exciting. Yeah. All right. And like I said, they're also in a ton of cave crickets too. And they and the crickets have teeth too. No, the crickets don't. Have, no, the crickets don't have teeth. Why, why would they have teeth? I mean, they might be kind of big, but like, no, no. No, because because that would that would explain the, <laughs> the presence of a tooth in the crocodile's stomach. <laughs> they, they, all the crickets just have one giant tooth. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're like unicorns or narwhals. Anyway. Yeah. Don't don't get them started again. They're gonna have to go all the way back down there. That poor archaeologist is gonna be dragged down again, and he won't find a single <laughs> cave painting. Ah, oh, he's not an archaeologist anymore. He's a he's a biologist now. He studies yeah, crocodiles. He is. He's and an honorary member. Yeah, uh, I hope he did find something. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, he did find something. It's just not what he was looking for. So maybe he found a single cave painting that just said, "Don't go in here." <laughs> it was just uh, just above like the entrance to that cave there's like a there's like something written in like invisible ink that just says turn around and you know i will add these are all from like the same kind of pool there could be more uh we need to explore much more though to find that yeah but you're gonna have a tough time convincing people to go on that trip man yeah it's really cool just to talk about but all the effort to go get to them it seems like a lot 
I don't know how far deep they actually walked in, but the fact that they said they felt like lung pain just upon exiting and breathing fresh air tells me that a lot of work went into this. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying, like, I'm just trying to think about what the sales pitch for that trip is. Like, if you're a prospective graduate student who might be, like, becoming, you know, interested in getting into some kind of environmental or ecological research around crocodilians, you go up to this guy and you're like, what are you doing? He's just like, well, if you've joined my lab, we're going to go diving into caves that are dark and full of all kinds of mysterious and creepy shit. And if we're successful, we'll find a pool full of shit that could suffocate you. What do you say? <laughs> are you in? <laughs> to my knowledge, he has not branded his research calling these like sewer crocodiles. Because they're not. It's not man-made by any means. But I think if he let the news outlets run with it a little bit, you know, maybe he could get better funding or more interest. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, any press is good press. Like, you're you're onto something there. Cool on its own regard. You give it a real clickbaity title, and I guarantee you people will be all over it. Yeah, but I feel like you get the wrong kind of people. He'd, like, just have a bunch of applicants who are just, like, adulterous British sewage workers. <laughs> you know? Have you seen any rat ladies in there? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what, what what what's what's cave tinder like, man? Okay, so now we definitely can't cut out the little rat queen thing I mentioned before, or else that line right there is going to make absolutely no sense. I guess, or you can just cut part of it down. I don't know. All right, well, that's all I got. All right, awesome. That was great. Yeah, that was that was definitely worth. I think that was definitely worth doing all an entire episode about poop. I've been sitting on that one for a while, and glad I got to use it. I don't know what other topics I could have put it in. I know. I mean, if we had done an episode about, like, reptiles or something like that could have fit in. Anyway, all right, so what, what, what topic are you thinking for next episode? Well, I had two ideas, and both of which stemmed off something we did. One would be islands, and the other would be caves, because mm. there's so much cool stuff from caves and islands. Did you have anything? I was thinking, I mean, I, I, I thought about a few different things, but I, I, I was thinking it would be really cool to talk about, um, to talk about mutualistic relationships. Like mutualisms would be really cool. Symbi or maybe symbionts. Something like that could be really cool. I think that can work. I picked poop, um, so I think we can go with mutualism. I, you could be pretty broad with mutualism. Would you rather go with mutualisms or would you rather go with symbionts? Yeah, wait, remind me again. Symbiosis could be like mutualism, commensalism, or parasitism, right? Yeah, it's just okay. two organisms that are living in the same body, basically. Okay, no, that totally gives me stuff to work with. Parasites are so cool. Yeah, they, they really are. They're, well, they're really cool to think about. They're <laughs> not so cool to have. No, very uncool to, to, to have, for sure. But um, anyway... Yeah, that is our show. So tune in next time to hear all about uh, symbiosis and what kinds of crazy shit we can come up with there. Yeah, thanks for stopping by. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time.